On this week's Texas Tribune TribCast, we'll talk about the inaugurations of the state's top two leaders, our regular big three boogie check, a Texas candidate in the presidential race, and Puerto Rico as a key primary state, the proposed state budgets and education proposals for the House and Senate, or from the House and Senate, and yet another special election. But before we get to all of that, I'd like to thank today's TribCast sponsors. Today's TribCast is presented by Harmony Public Schools. Texas's largest STEM-focused free charter school system is accepting applications now at campuses statewide. Visit HarmonyTX.org to see why the TEA awarded Harmony 6A ratings for 2018. And by Don't Blow It, Save Wild Texas. Visit Don'tBlowItTexas.org and join the Devil's River Conservancy in protecting our state for future generations. Hello, this is Ross Ramsey here on Wednesday, January 16th with the Texas Tribune Tribcast, our weekly Texas politics and policy podcast. I'm joined this week by reporters Alex Samuels. Hi there. Elias Swaby. Hello. And Patrick Svitek. Good afternoon. As always, we take your questions in real time on Twitter and Facebook. You can ask us by using the hashtag, hashtag Tribcast. Uh, so I want to start with your foreign adventures, Patrick. Uh, <laughs> Uh, we've got another, uh, I guess, our first official Texas presidential candidate, and um, he started in a new primary state. You want to run this down for us? Right. So on Saturday, I guess I'll go back to Saturday, Julian Castro made official what a lot of people have been expecting for a long time, for basically the past two years, which is that he announced he's running for president, um, joining what's probably going to be a very crowded field and which has only grown since Saturday. Yeah, it's got, uh, we've got six new candidates. <laughs> exactly. Right? So it's moving at a pretty fast pace at this point in the, right. in the cycle. Um, and he announced in his hometown of San Antonio on, on the west side near where he grew up and uh, made the, the west side and his life story on the west side um, pretty central to uh, his announcement. Uh, and right afterward, chose as his first post-announcement trip, San Juan, uh, Puerto Rico, uh, you know, which is uh, politically significant in, in a number of ways. Um, obviously, uh, he is going to be courting the Latino vote uh, pretty intensely um, and working to build uh, you know, an even broader coalition uh, than just the Latino vote, of course. Um, and then there was just kind of this, uh, you know, Obvious, obvious contrast with the current occupant of the White House, who was, uh, you know, pretty sharply and roundly criticized for his administration's response to Hurricane Maria in 2017, and so uh, Castro uh, clearly wanted to kind of drive home the message um, that he would be, uh, you know, a, a, a president who would more who would take, uh, you know, just as seriously a natural disaster that hits Puerto Rico as one that would hit Texas, right. um, and brought this message to the island saying that, you know, he wants to make sure that everybody counts. Um, and it just wasn't a very traditional first stop for a presidential candidate. Usually they go to Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, one of the early voting states. I sort of wondered if people looked up at this point at some candidate from Texas for president and wondered what the heck that guy was doing. I mean, was there, did they seem to be sort of conscious of here we are, this is a presidential thing, this is exciting, or was it sort of like, what's going on here? You know, so one of the events he did was he spoke Monday morning at the Latino Victory Fund's 
a political summit which was being held in, in, in Puerto Rico for, for many of the same reasons from a political perspective to kind of shine a light on the ongoing recovery there in, in contrast with the, the, the Trump administration's response to it. The Latino Victory Fund is a group that he has long been involved with and that has kind of, uh, he's, he's been involved with this. He's you know risen from San Antonio to San Antonio mayor to a cabinet official to now a presidential candidate. So that was a crowd that was very familiar with him. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a room full of kind of very uh, influential Hispanic uh, elected officials and political activists and From leaders and donors. So right. that crowd was was pretty familiar with him. Uh, there was no surprise there. Um, you know, he then afterward did two different stops throughout San Juan where he kind of checked in on uh, neighborhoods that were still uh, damaged and, and recovering and also looked at some some various kind of recovery efforts. Um, you know, he was obviously kind of a fresher face in those in those neighborhoods and not mm -hmm. as uh, not as well known per se. Um, you know, and so I guess that that would be a case where people would maybe would crane their, their neck and say, you know, who's this guy from Texas? But, um, you know, overall, though, it was a pretty, um, you know, he was pretty well received throughout the trip. And, um, you know, this Democratic primary is going to be so crowded, so diverse um, that, you know, it's going to require a lot to stand out. And he needs all the help he can get. Obviously, he is starting this race out as what I would classify as a long shot. I mean, barely um, registering in polls uh, and here in Texas being overshadowed, at least for the moment, by Beto O'Rourke, who's right. just drawing so much more attention as a potential candidate. Who just came off a big, huge, multi-million dollar campaign, right? Right, exactly. Right. And so um, and so, if the, the goal was to kind of try to move quickly after his announcement to distinguish himself, I think, I think he was successful. Uh, but this race is, as we just pointed out, moving very quickly and it's going to require a lot of sustained effort to, to kind of carve out a unique profile. It, it's super early to ask this, but is there anything here that looks like this is going to separate him from the pack in terms of issues or in terms of, you know, something about him that, you know, is going to make him stand out? And I mean, I've, I saw something a couple of weeks ago that said there are actually three dozen people who are looking at this, who are, you know, serious right. people with national profiles or want to be national profiles. How do you break out? Yeah, I think in terms of issues, you know, you look at his announcement speech on Saturday in San Antonio, and, and he pretty much rattled off a lot of ideas that are progressive ideas that are very ascendant in the Democratic Party right now. Mm -hmm. um, Medicare for all, um, affordable, and today he went even further and he said, you know, uh, talked about free tuition for public uh, colleges. Um, and uh, universal uh, pre-K. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, these are all ideas that are um, ascendant in, in an increasingly progressive democratic uh, mainstream. And so I think he's starting out this campaign uh, pretty well aligned with that, you know, with kind of where the democratic primary electorate is going to be when votes are finally, finally start being cast in, in 2020. Okay. Okay. And next stop, New Hampshire. Yeah, he already is in New Hampshire. He went to New Hampshire on Tuesday, and then might uh, be the first time he's ever yeah. seen snow. This could be a good <laughs> right, day, right, exactly. <laughs> and so, um, and then he's there on today, Wednesday as well. So, okay. obviously, a little more traditional backdrop for a presidential candidate. Than yeah, Puerto okay. Rico. So we're off and running. It's only two years till election day. Um, so here in here in Texas, we've been talking about, um, I guess, just two things. We're sort of walking. You know, we're watching the state leadership since the election. Really talking about, you know, it's just going to be school finance and. Um, what's that other one? Oh yeah, property taxes. Property taxes, uh, I think, yeah. Sorry, little Rick Perry moment. Um, so, uh, Leah, walk us through the school finance stuff. I know if you say school finance, that in a room full of 12 people, you can get 12 different versions of it. Do you have a feel yet what they're talking about? Yeah, so um, I think the House and Senate budget proposals in the last couple of days have shown 
a little bit about what they mean by school finance fixes. I don't think it's shown very much about what they mean by property tax relief mm-hmm. um, in terms of specific proposals. Um, you know, the House seems to be, um, you know, the House is, I think, proposing uh, $9 billion more for public education. Um, and, uh, you know, they're sort of more vague on the policy side. So it's something, anything that, uh, you know, it's contingent on special education fixes, more money for schools, and property tax reform. But it's sort of a general statement about those things and not really right. do this specific thing or this specific exactly. thing. Exactly, right. yeah. Um, whereas the Senate was really different in dividing up um, those into two separate items. Um, so there's uh, about $3.7 billion in there that's just for uh, teacher pay raises. So it would basically um, require school districts to use the money to give $5,000 uh, raises to all their full-time classroom teachers. Is it a raise on top of what those teachers are already making, or is this a raise in the basic it's, amount yeah, the teachers it, have to make? The, uh, so the language of the bill makes it clear that it would have to be more than they were getting the previous year. Um, and the language of the bill is also interesting because it it is um, you know an allotment, so it sort of like builds it into the like distribution of how school finance works. But it expires in 2020, um, so it'll be interesting to see, you know, what that actually means if anyone will pick up on that. And so, and so it expires. Does that mean that the state won't provide the five thousand dollars anymore, or does that mean that it's not part of the school formulas anymore, or is that clear? That I, that I don't think that's clear yet. Right. I think you know. If um, in future uh, sessions, obviously, if they don't want to do it anymore, they won't do it anymore, and, and they can pretty easily do that. Um, but it's unclear if um, you know the allotment itself will. Like, I mean, does the allotment mean anything without the money going to the allotment? Right. Well, no, in the allotment, we should say, you know, the allotment is basically when the state's distributing public education money, it says this much money per student, and that's how they equalize. So your school district gets the same as his school district right. and hers, right? Right. And so, the, I mean, the problem has been in the past that uh, lawmakers have relied a lot on grant programs, which are temporary and, and which can easily be, you know, gotten rid of. Right. I think they're talking a lot more this year about building things into the actual formulas. Um, and so I think that's why um, the, the Senate's bill looks this way, the way that they're proposing it looks this way. But it's unclear right now what that actually means for the future if it ends up being better than a grant program in terms of its... I mean, Lieutenant Governor has said that he, you know, that it's permanent, that it would go in perpetuity. But, you know, obviously future, he can't bind future legislatures. Right. Right. The House also uses some of the money in the rainy day fund account to uh, shore up, um, it's not exactly shortfalls, but shore up some um, liabilities in the teacher retirement system. The Senate doesn't do that. Right. Are, are there other big differences here? Um, I think, yeah, the, the, so the Senate uses a rainy day fund for the supplemental budget. Um, this and is the budget that for money in the current budget that's right. not there. Exactly. Right. Um, and so there's, I think there's about $1 billion in there for Hurricane Harvey damages um, and, and some money for uh, Medicaid. Um, but yeah, the House, the House mainly uses a rainy day fund for um, some smaller future expenses, um, but uh, not really for, for supplemental in the same way. Yeah. Alex, how do these budgets stack up? I mean, what's this... Does this look like a grand fight, or does it look like they're kind of going in the same direction? Um, 
I mean, just from the first glances at what the House filed, what the Senate filed, um, how's it looking? Um, I mean, Edgar had Edgar Walters, our main budget reporter, had a story yesterday that showed, you know, there are some major differences in the budget as far as education spending. I think the House wanted to put forth a little bit more money right. than the Senate did, like a $3 billion yes. difference there. Right. Um, but something that he kind of noted at the end of his article is that, you know, the budget differences this year aren't as stark as they were going to last year. And there's still, you know, the big three, they're still kind of singing kumbaya on those big uh, bread and butter policy issues, property taxes and school finance. So I think they're both trying to allocate money as um, in their budgets to those uh, different programs. I think it's there's just a difference in how much should be spent. Right. Yeah. I, I, Ross, maybe you can uh, <laughs> confirm me on this, but it seems like at the beginning you talk about the differences in the starting points between last session and this session, it seems that there were some real differences in principle uh, on the starting points last session. Right. At least this session, there are some, you know, there are some major numerical differences and kind of technical differences, but it seems like they're starting from the same place. Uh, they're starting more closely aligned in principle on some of these items. Okay. Did you get a microphone sharing yeah. note? Oh, no. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Have an equipment we'll malfunction. Um, yeah, one of the... Um, Things that seems evident right now, or seems to be the case right now, and a, you know, emphasis on right now because we've got right. 18 weeks for this to come apart, is that they seem to be going in the same direction. As Alex points out, there's a, a a difference in the totals on the budget. I think it's four billion overall, three billion in public education. Mm -hmm. uh, they seem to be pretty much almost word for word in sync on Medicaid. Um, they spend less money on Medicaid, and they contend that that they can spend less money because they have better better federal matches and they won't lose any services. So we'll see how that goes. You know, what, it's become a general habit in the state budget to not put all of the money you actually need for two years for Medicaid in the budget and to pick it up in a supplemental bill. So, for example, they're going to start this session with Senate Bill 500, I think it is, um, which is a supplemental bill that'll catch up the current budget. It includes $2.1 billion that they didn't put in Medicaid that they need for Medicaid to make it to the end of the year. Right. So pretty pretty uh, typical operation there. But like you said, I mean, you know, you and I went to the state convention in 2017, 2016, yeah, 2016. <laughs> 20, and that's, yeah, where the, that's where the bathroom bill popped up. And you right. know, from yeah. there, that bill and a number of other things sort of became the conversation through that election and into the session. And we don't have anything, you know, any comparable, you know, culture war kind of issues um, going this time. I mean, there are some issues like that, but nothing amped up like that. They seem to be talking no, about and the, these two, I, yeah, two topics. Right. And then it's sort of like topic one, topic two, everything else. Right, right. right. Yeah. I mean, there's obviously some border security chat, but that's being driven by what's happening at the national level. Right. Um, and even then, besides Dan Patrick, you, you don't have Greg Abbott and new Speaker Bonin out there really banging the drum hard on that issue. I mean, they're really trying to keep it focused on these two big issues. There's, there's nothing in any of the budget proposals that says, you know, this is to help build a big, beautiful wall. Right. You know, and uh, in fact, we even saw this week, <laughs> Texas Republicans... <laughs> in some ways, pull pull back from that idea or at least pull back from a floated funding mechanism for that idea. Greg Abbott, Ted right. Cruz, John Cornyn, and a bunch of Republican congressmen teamed up to send a letter to Trump to say, you know, hey, we're hearing reports that uh, you may be interested in diverting some disaster relief funds uh, to build the border wall. Don't do that. Right. Um, which was, I, I noted this, but 
Cornyn had been pretty vocal about this over the past few days. It was more interesting to see Ted Cruz and, and Greg Abbott especially sign on to that letter. And so, um, well, they jumped in pretty hard. I mean, they right. they, they had to wrestle pretty opposed. hard to get that yeah. money in the first place. And I, they probably, you know, they don't don't right. steal our our exactly. emergency funds. Yeah, um, pretty interesting. So uh, we had the inauguration. Yes. It was weird. It was on the wrong side of the Capitol. Uh, everybody <laughs> was talking about it being on the back door. I don't know that they've ever done that. It was on the north side. <laughs> it's a new day in Texas. The, yeah. of the south side. <laughs> well, they, you know, the trees have gotten big enough that, you know, one of the arguments was that you've ruined the sight lines so people yeah. can't see. Um, I will note that it's also easier on the north side of the Capitol to fill the sidewalks, the smaller sidewalks, and, and get, a, get a big crowd. Um, so what was the scene over there, Alex? What was the... Um, what do we see here? It's basically a couple of speeches and a couple of speeches, and we all went home basically. Um, but now, uh, so- I noticed they they sat the UT band and the A and M band on either side of a hedge, so they wouldn't have to look at each other. <laughs> Smart. Um, yeah. So Dan Patrick and uh, Governor Abbott both uh, spoke yesterday at the inaugurations. Um, something that was interesting, I know Chuck Lindell actually pointed this out in his statesman piece, is that Dan Patrick and his speech was really pointing to bipartisanship, and you know the um, both with Republicans and Democrats, and then also the House and Senate working together this session to really um, work on those bread and butter policy issues that they've been uh, kind of pushing a united front um, on, at least since the election, I'd say. Right. Um, I think something- United front holds week <laughs> two, right? I think it was interesting. I think uh, Patrick had brought up Bonin on stage with him, a move that he said was unprecedented just to show that the House and Senate are really focused on working together. And I know that we included a quote today uh, in this morning's brief where he was like, you know, the Democrats and Republicans are working together. And he said, some, Patrick said something along the lines of, you know, Washington could take note of, you know, how we are all working together. So we'll just kind of see if that holds true in the next coming months. Right. I mean, this was a lot of... Uh this isn't the nicest term, but just kind of re- regurgitation of the themes that we've heard, <laughs> right. um, you know, really ever since the election and especially ramped up at the beginning of the session. Um, I know one kind of specific thing that was a bit of news, at least in the moment, was Dan Patrick used his speech to kind of pre-announce Jane Nelson's teacher pay raise bill um, and, and just lay out some of those details. But otherwise, this was a lot of what we've already been hearing. Right. Um, and, you know, I'm personally more looking forward to Greg Abbott's state of the state address um, where hope you know where I think you may get a little more meat on the agenda than what you got. That's set for um, February fifth. February fifth than right. what you got yesterday. So coming yeah. up. Um, before our next topic, I'd like to thank two more TripCast sponsors. Thousands of WGU Texas students are getting the opportunity to rewrite their stories thanks to our twenty-first century approach to higher education, competency-based learning. Learn more at Texas.wgu.edu/cbe and. Texans for Consumer Freedom. Court finds Texas retail liquor laws discriminatory and unconstitutional. Learn more at texansforconsumerfreedom.com. So we've got yet another special election. We've got a lot of things going on. The House and Senate haven't named committees yet. Um, There are all kinds of rumors about when that might happen. The Senate is always faster than the House. We'll see how much they beat them by. Um, And I guess that's where we'll start to see any cracks in the system or any continuation of this kumbaya moment about about the big issues right. uh, going forward. Um, but we don't even have a fully populated legislature yet, Alex. We've got um, some special elections coming up, and we've got a new one declared now, right? Yeah, so Patrick actually wrote the story earlier this week, um, but five candidates did file to uh, run for the seat vacated by Democrat Justin Rodriguez. Uh, 
San Antonio Democrat. I think there are four Democrats and one Republican running right. for that seat. Um, and that special election will take place on February 12th. Um, but before that, in January 29th, there are two other special elections to fill the seats left by uh, Carol Alvarado, a Democrat who left her seat in the House to run for Sylvia Garcia's seat in the Senate. Right. And then Joe Pickett, who resigned from his seat in the House um, last month actually stepped down due to health issues. So there'll be two special elections in January and then one in February following that. Right. So Houston, El Paso, San Antonio. Right. And and just a quick overview. I think, you know, so far none of these are turning, you know, is turning out to be blockbuster, you know, explosive (laughs) political events, especially, you know, Joe Pickett's seat. Um, There are two Democrats, one Republican. Uh, There's a pretty clear front runner in one of the Democrats, Art Fierro, who is the uh, chairman of the El Paso Community College Board. Mm-hmm. Um, and the entire El Paso delegation to the legislature has endorsed him. Wow. Um, okay. So he looks like the you know clear front runner in that race. Um, in the, the races for the Rodriguez seat and for the Alvarado seat, obviously you got more crowded fields. There are more Democrats. You have some pretty clear top candidates in those races. For the Alvarado seat, you have um, Chris, uh Christina Morales, local businesswoman, very well known in that in that part of Houston. Uh, then you have Melissa Noriega, um, who briefly held the seat, uh, I believe, in right. 2005 when her then husband, the incumbent Rick Noriega, served overseas. Mm-hmm. Um, still kind of sifting through the field for for Democrat uh, the Justin Rodriguez's seat in San Antonio. Right. As Alex pointed out, there's four Democrats, one Republican. Um, you have you have some some pretty prominent names. Relatively speaking, among those Democrats, Ray Lopez, former uh, San Antonio City Council member, right. um, Art Reyna, who held the seat, the, the seat that Justin Rodriguez went on to hold uh, briefly, not briefly, but for, I think, three sessions in the late 90s or mm-hmm. early 2000s. Um, so some people with some interesting profiles in these races, but so far they're not turning into... We're not going to um, see party flips or anything here? I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, that seems very unlikely. Um, but you know, there, there's time, you know, these special elections, you know, you wait and wait. And then sometimes in the final few days, you see some, some real contrast being drawn. Right. Um, and so, but for now they're, they're pretty low key affairs, I'd say. Yeah. Well, I want to talk for a minute about the, you know, we've, we've all been reading about and writing about this kumbaya business with the big three. Um, and I'm, I'm curious what you guys are watching in terms of, you know, What's going to test this? I don't want to say it's going to break down because we don't know it's going to break down. Um, it's it's already held together longer than I thought it might. <laughs> but um, you know, what are you watching? Are you, is it the is it how they come at school finance and and is, are there some fault lines there? Is it the property tax thing? I think everybody's sort of carefully walked around on property taxes, gotten around the idea that it's going to be a property tax reduction, and they're talking more about holding property taxes at least where they are if they can. Um, but um, where do you see um, potential tests of these relationships? When, what's the Wednesday morning breakfast going to break up about? Um, I think I'm looking out for, on, on the property tax conversation, I think both the House and Senate budget proposals sort of open the door to, um, you know, the, the governor has, has put forth a proposal for property tax reform um, that would also help, uh, you know, recapture, which... Um, is you know a problem for for a lot of the the large urban school districts that, or the the wealthier school districts that are right. paying into recapture. So the governor has a proposal that would uh, do you know help with both of those things. Um, and I think both of the proposals kind of have language that would 
seem like they could support it. I think the House talks right. about tax compression. Um, the Senate talks about, I, I think the Senate actually is um, closer to what the governor's proposal actually is, where they talk about property tax reform and also, uh, you know, fixing recapture or, uh, you know, providing relief for recapture. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they would provide um, two, around $2 billion for, uh, you know, any, if they can get anything passed that would do both of those things. Um, and, you know, that's, that's the governor's proposal sort of in a nutshell. You interviewed the governor. He hadn't done a specific plan yet. What do you see coming there? Yeah, I mean, I was just going to step back and answer your, your previous question. I think I may have brought this up on a, a previous TripCast. Um, but, you know, while you have the big three all talking about the three issues of right. property tax reform, school finance reform, and, and a teacher pay raise, there's definitely been differences in emphasis. Right. Um, and I think that that suggests where you may see some uh, fracturing here, this kumbaya moment maybe fading away. Greg Abbott, the governor, has, has definitely emphasized property tax reform more um, again, they're all they're all talking about these issues and saying right. their priorities. But when you kind of, you know, start you know looking at speeches back to back and seeing what you know what gets mentioned first before the end, and you know what right. what where they get a little more excited when they talk about it. Right. You know, Greg Abbott <laughs> definitely, I think, has emphasized property tax reform more. Dennis Bonin has emphasized school finance reform more. Um, he didn't get cups for all the members that said property tax for the time for property tax reform is now. Right. He said it's the time for school right. finance reform is now. And and Dan Patrick again has also talked about all those issues, but he I think has been a little more emphatic about the teacher pay raise right. um, than Greg Abbott and uh, Dennis Bonin have been. It's an issue that he uh, he campaigned on. There's nothing wrong with that. But uh, you know again, I just think that there is a there. You know, when you start reading between the lines, there is a difference of emphasis, and that may suggest where there may be some division down the line. Right. Right. Has Abbott uh, forecast or or telegraphed any of his punches? I mean, do you think you have an idea what he's going to propose on February fifth, or are there some prizes out there? Are there some things that you saw in the campaign that haven't gotten any emphasis lately that you think he might punch at in the in the state of the state, or um, is it going to be more of the same? More about you know, I mean, his his riff right now on property taxes yeah. is everywhere I went during the campaign. Everywhere all of us went during the campaign, property right. taxes is what we heard about. You know, yeah. um, is there something new out there that you know, he's I, suggested? I don't, I don't think so. I'm not necessarily expecting any huge surprise in the state of the state. Obviously, right. it's still a couple few weeks away. Right. Uh, you know, he has kind of developed and made clear that he has kind of a after you get beyond property taxes and school finance uh, reform, that he has kind of a second tier of priorities, if you want to call it that, that include things like uh, school safety. Um, and finishing some of the proposals from uh, he made after the the Santa Fe shooting that require legislative action, right. and so I think he sketched out kind of a second tier of priorities that I expect to come up um, in the state of the state. Okay, Alex, do you think these guys keep going along? You've been following Bonin pretty closely. Um, you saw last session. Um, do you see any any cracks in it right now? Are you surprised how they're getting along? Um, not right now. It's still pretty early. Um, I think Patrick said it well, and then you also said it well in your column this morning that, you know, when it comes to school finance, you know, everyone kind of has different priorities in that sense. And like Patrick mentioned, uh, Dan Patrick is really pushing the teacher pay. Um, Abbott, or sorry, Bonin's more talking about pumping more money into schools. And then Abbott's talking about, you know, rewarding schools where students have been doing well. So it's like, you see, like, you know, you see the fault lines there, so it'll be interesting to see um, what happens. But I'm personally watching the school safety debate, so I'm interested to see in how that falls in between school finance and property taxes and if that kind of falls to the wayside, especially since this is the first session after the Santa Fe shooting and really right. when lawmakers, you know, should be getting stuff done. Right. Yeah, they'll have 5,500 other bills 
um, to mess around with. You know, one of the things that I've noticed here is an echo of the Bonin plan this time, Aaliyah, is um, similar to, the numbers are different, but it's a similar idea to what the House was pushing at the end of the last legislative session. Put some more money into schools um, and equal, you know, you have the effect of bringing the state share up a little bit. You put some more money into schools, maybe get some more money into the formulas. And uh, Dan Patrick was on a teacher pay raise of a kind last time. Um, mm -hmm. Are these exactly the same or are they significantly different? Yeah, I don't, I mean, I think it's hard, obviously, without policy proposals, but I expect right. the policy proposals to look different this time around just based off of what the, the School Finance Commission, um, you know, has been recommending that they do or came out with recommendations that they should do. Right. Um, I think the House's proposal at least... Um, you know, might include some of the things that they tried to do last time. And so that was a lot of like wonky fixing the the way that money gets distributed to schools, putting more uh, money into, you know, the base funding for students. But I think it also might include some, uh, you know, what they're calling outcomes-based funding. So right. basically um, tying funding to performance, which we haven't done in Texas. Um, and so this basically would reward districts where students are doing better. Right. So it would give, basically give them an incentive to, um, you know, or the pitches. It, it, it would give them an incentive to have more students reading um, on grade level in third grade if they gave them, you know, however much per student for, stu for every third grader reading on grade level. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's, that's going to be a pretty controversial part of what's expected to be proposed just because, you know, for school districts, I mean, the idea of tying... Um, the amount you get to how well you do is, is for obvious reasons, not very popular. Right. Um, but it's one that I think the big three have all sort of said in their own way. You know, they've all hinted at uh, supporting something that's, that's similar to that. You know, if not specifically the third grade reading one, then um, giving schools money just for specific programs. You know, I mean, I think uh, the, the Senate's budget proposal showed that too, where mm -hmm. you're giving specific money um, for teacher pay and nothing else, um, you know, so it's holding school, what they've said is they're holding schools accountable for how they use the money by, you know, delegating pretty specific uses for how that money is supposed to be used. Okay, okay. I think that's about it for time. Uh, I want to mention that the Texas Tribune has a new podcast, Point of Order, with a fresh, new, stern-looking picture of Evan Smith in the, in the promos, <laughs> if you see it. It features Evan's one-on-one -on -one conversations with elected officials and other news-like creatures from the world of Texas government and politics. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast fix. The current episode features Dan Uberty, the, um, right now the public education chairman in the House. They haven't named him for this session. Um, there's some assumptions there. We'll see. Uh, anyway, it's he and Dan talking about big aims for Texas schools in this legislative session. Thanks to Harmony Public Schools, Devil's River Conservancy, WGU Texas, and Texans for Consumer Freedom, our sponsors this week. And an extra special thanks to Spoon for our theme music. On behalf of Alex, Aaliyah, Patrick, and our producers, Michael Ray and Bobby, this is Ross. Thanks for listening.